What's up, Noonan? Welcome to today's show. If it's your first time here, my name is Joseph Anderson, and I'm a local realtor for Century 21 Novus, and I started this podcast to get to know people in the community and to get to know the area more. Today, I'm interviewing Josh Nisi, owner of Hills and Hamlet's Bookshop, located in Serenby, which is about 20, 25 minutes from the downtown Noonan Square. I hope you enjoy. Josh Nisi, thanks for coming on the podcast. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So give me a short bio about yourself. Um, okay. Well, I uh, opened Underground Books in March 2010. That's kind of uh, how we ended up here. Um, and I have a second location here in Serenby, Hills and Hamlet's Bookshop that we opened about five years ago. And I've been a lifelong book lover. Um, I grew up in Indiana and Kentucky, where I went to high school and college. Um, and after college, I got a degree in philosophy which was kind of like, you know, didn't know what I wanted to do after that. And I joined AmeriCorps, which is kind of like the Domestic Peace Corps. And that, that brought me to Douglasville, Georgia, where I worked in a literacy tutoring program at uh, what, was, what was then called Inner Harbor. It's still there. It's now called Youth Villages. It was a treatment center for, uh, you know, troubled kids. And um, I did that for several years. And then I ended up getting the job managing that program and did that for like five years. And during that time, I met all of these people that were from Carrollton, because Carrollton at the University of West Georgia has this big psychology program, so there was lots of people that worked at Inner Harbor uh, at the time there, and I kind of fell in love with Carrollton. And when I left the AmeriCorps job, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I was kind of burnt out in nonprofit work, and I worked at the Alley Cat Bar. Uh, my friend Brian had bought it, and I just didn't know what I was going to do, and I bartended a few nights a week. And while I was doing that, I started selling books online as a hobby. Um, just to kind of supplement my income while I was figuring out what was next. And I loved that. It was easy and fun. And I was just started off so I like I had always been kind of a book hoarder myself. So I was just selling kind of like my own books that I didn't need anymore, like on eBay. And then I started, uh, oh, I want to do more of this. So I started going to like, you know, thrift stores and estate sales and just buying up books here and there and reselling them. And then gradually I like, you know, ran into an estate store. Someone was like, do you want to buy all the, yeah. So I bought hundreds and hundreds of this entire book collection. And then it started, so it started becoming a thing where it was like, oh, I'm kind of making more money than I'm uh, book selling online than I am just bartending. And I um, don't really want to do that forever anyway. So I uh, uh, decided to try to make the, the book selling thing a small business. And I started looking for a space where it could be an office to sell books online. And I found the space that is now Underground Books, which is in this historic uh, 1890 uh, building um, just off, like f f 20 feet off Adamson Square in downtown Carrollton. And um, I was like, oh, I'll just have this be my online office. It's this great space. The owner of the building at the time was uh, Nell from Nell Holmes from Nell Printing, Nell's Printing, which had been a print shop on the square there for a long time. Uh, she had, it was basically a basement space, and then she'd just been using it for storage, and it's kind of neglected and had been empty. It had been a shoe repair shop in the like 70s and 80s. That's what a lot of people that grew up in Carrollton remember it as. But it was kind of gross and dirty, and she was like, I'll give it to you for like 200 bucks a month if you'll clean it up and be, yeah, I'm not going to fix anything. You got to do whatever you want. So I ended up spending a year like fixing it up and painting it and had a bunch of friends help, and it kind of became this big project. And while we were in there fixing it up, we'd see the kind of foot traffic growing on Adamson Square. At the time, there was only one other business on the block, um, on a block there on um, Alabama Street, the first street off Adamson Square. There was maybe five or six businesses, and, and there was only one other when it was a restaurant at the time and most of it was empty um but there was still the square had been coming back to life for a while and 
um, that is kind of the origin story. So you got started, it, it started in 2011. Yeah, so 2000, January 2010, I signed a lease with Nell to, to rent the space where Underground Books currently is. Next door was also Blue Heron Art Studio, a little pottery studio that had been there a long time too, actually. Um, and she moved shortly after we opened. She bought a house off the square. It's still over there. She's got a beautiful space. Um, but yeah, so to January 2010, I got it and started fixing it up. And then um, shortly after, when Blue Heron moved out, the spaces were kind of internally, had been internally connected at one point, and we kind of reopened that, and we took over that space and kind of expanded pretty early on. Um, and then... Um, Mark, so it spent like a year fixing it up and just selling books online, using it as an office while we were painting and cleaning it up. So while we were doing that, we're like, oh, this could be, I could just make it a bookstore and still sell online like I am doing it. You know, what would it hurt? Maybe I want so many books, but uh, I, I'm going to be here anyway, listing books on the internet. So let's give it a try. And it ended up being kind of a hit. And I had had so many friends and like people volunteering to like paint, help fix it up. It like that invested a bunch of people in it already. And then they were, so they were so excited when it opened, they told their friends. So it's like, ended up being like, by the time we had a, a grand opening in March uh, 2011, it was like, you know, I don't know, a hundred people came or something, you know, it was like huge. It ended up being a hit kind of without really that being the, the original plan. It does seem like that bookstore has kind of been a staple in the Carrollton community. And like, how have you gone about getting such a loyal following? Uh, that's a great question. Well, first, thank you. That's, that's you know, nice to hear it put that way. Um, you know, I'd say when we started, I said yes to everything, um, which is n not my approach now. But I mean, it was like someone was like, oh, I've, you know, my cousin has a book coming out. Will you carry it? Or someone was like, hey, can you, we're going to have like a craft fair or a yard sale at our business. Do you want to set up a table? Like, yes, sure. Like just a yes to everything. Um, like, hey, my club wants to have a meeting. Can we use your space? Yes. And you just said kind of yes to everything ever. So I ended up like working like 80 hours a week for years. And while I was still barely making any money, scraping by and I like burnt myself out pretty bad early on saying yes to everything. Um, 10 days after actually opening, um, um, a customer came in um, whose name was Megan Bell. Uh, she came on full time in the business as well. And around that, that was, you know, a couple of years after that is when we started thinking of opening a second location here in Ceremony. And she kind of took over and ran that. But uh, that's part of the origin story, too. It's like, you know, <laughs> the, the, it ended up being like, you know, for us, it's frequently like if you read about us on our, our website, it's like it's hard to untangle a kind of like love story. Us like meeting in the first week of opening and then um, getting married and being both just like passionate book lovers. It's really working out. And it's great. So it was the first week of opening. A customer comes in. You were drawn to her and then y'all got married. <laughs> well, it's funny. Uh, if you, asked that, you know, if Megan was here, you know, we have like, this has become a story we do. But uh, what, you know, I, you know, she's 10 years younger than me. So I was not like open to that at first but she liked me and she kept coming in she'd come in like every other day and would like always bring like treats like she like sweets or like she's like bagels and locks and like you know things that are like delicacies and delicacies in her family and i was never big on sweets and never did bagels and locks. so it was like never stuff i liked but she was always trying to bring me stuff and i was like eh. um so it's like i but she eventually wore me down and uh we you know started dating and uh and then you know through you know, both being passionate book lovers gave us, you know, something to connect about and ended up also being business partners. That's a great story. So one of the main reasons I reached out to you for this interview is because you opened a second location called Hills and Hamlets Bookshop, 
which is located in the Serenby community. That's about 20 minutes from Noonan. I know it's pretty popular in the Noonan community to come visit your store. Go into the backstory of how you opened this location. Um, well, as you know, Underground Books um, had been going five years and had been becoming pretty established. And Megan had come on full time. And we were really, you know, when she came on full time, we were wanting to grow the business to allow it to have, you know, generate enough revenue to support two full time incomes. Um, and one of the main ways we've been doing that is our online business. Um, you know, we haven't mentioned the, what even what kind of books we sell actually yesterday, but Underground Books started pretty much exclusively as a used bookstore and specializing in kind of vintage and antiquarian and rare books. Um, the obvious way to grow the business was focusing on that. Um, but we had a number of customers that lived in Serenby and some friend, a couple friends, like a mentor from mine from Inner Harbor and some people we knew here and who had been enthusiastic about Underground Books. And several of them have been like, hey, Serenby, you know, I think it might be a good place for a bookstore. And we kind of, you know, drove over one afternoon and um, saw some empty retail spaces. And I'd been following the story of Serenby for a long time. I've kind of always been a lifelong, passionate environmentalist. And and it kind of, I did some, a little bit of graduate studies in urban planning. And it's just like kind of what Serenby's doing is really neat. You know, like, like uh, for those that don't know, it's kind of, high density development with unique architecture and that it kind of in the DNA of it is that it preserves 70% of the development as green space. So if you are developing 100 acres, only 30 acres of it can have buildings on it and 70% of it remains uh, designated green space. Um, so it's very unusual. It kind of flies in the space of the standard sprawl design mentality that is, you know, ultimately I think not good for humans, but it's definitely bad for the environment and, you know, eats up the countryside. So there's this beautiful Chattahoochee Hills here, the town where it's located is this like, you know, rolling farmland. And the founders here, when they set out to do Serenby, had a bed and breakfast out here and they didn't want to see it kind of become like Douglasville style sprawl where it's just, you know, like a disorienting maze of subdivisions and strip malls um so they're like well how can we you know we're not going to stop development so how can we kind of you know try to you know guide it in a different way so that was the origin story of Serenby, and i had been kind of following their story for a while and was interested in it so my between my kind of personal interest in it having some kind of spans of underground books living and working here and it kind of just all came together yeah i noticed when you drive in it's you know, we're only like 20 minutes from the airport mm-hmm. and you pull into Serenby and it's like there's this calming presence. Yeah. I yeah, don't know sure. how they did that, mm-hmm. if, it, if it has I to mean, do with what you were talking about. I mean, definitely. I mean, uh, there's, you know, everything, desi- there's, everything designed here is a design choice, I should say. You know, so there's something to do with human scale. So it's like... You know, and that has to do with like how far the buildings are from each other, how that how far the sidewalks are. Everything has a front porch, so it feels inviting. There's like all of the you know, there's sidewalks. Every, the mailboxes are all placed at like little collective. Like you don't have individual house mailboxes there, so you have to walk every day so you get to know your neighbors. Um, so it's like there's just tons of little design choices everywhere. Right out front here, you can you can you're, you can't see obviously because this is a podcast, but right in front of our store. It, the landscaping is, you know, a native landscaping or edible landscaping. This is all rosemary plants, and they're beautiful. There's blueberry bushes lining the streets out here. Like, you can, you know, so it's like, it's really, it seems like no-brainers. Like, it's probably, like, those landscaping choices for rosemary and blueberries probably didn't add a great deal of expense to 
the development, but add a great deal of character and uniqueness and, you know, it's just thoughtful little design touches everywhere. So were people willing to pay a little bit more in order to have a bookstore in their community? And ultimately we found enough support for that that we decided to do it. Yeah, so how have you been able to compete with online shoppers? Because it's growing in popularity, but yet you have two, um, two bookstores that seem to be thriving. I mean, it is really, that is the puzzle that this business is, you know, aiming to crack, really. Um, um, there's a lot of answers to it. There's a lot of small ways that we, things that we do that address it. A, at Underground Books, what, where we're carrying used, and a lot of what we call bargain books, they're like discounted new books. Um, the prices are tend to be competitive on used and bargain books, so it's like, it, it's so it, it, that kind of takes away some of it. Um, but I'd say, like, the big answer like I can give you lots of small detailed answers like okay well on this this is how we do that uh, on this this is how we compete but I would say on, on the biggest picture it's what we call creative placemaking which is also a term in Serenby um, but in, in the in the retail industry and in book selling in particular people that's kind of a buzzword and it's kind of something we stumbled into at underground books like we have this archway of books you know you create places that are you know to be put it simply like Instagrammable or the places that people that feel good people the places that people want to be so if you create a place you know that here the advantage of like Barnes and Noble or Borders bookstop bookshop historically when they started in the 90s and they were putting out the little independent bookshops their strength was a vast selection of books but they couldn't compete they're not competing with Amazon either they've been going out because you're not going to compete with Amazon selection they have you know vast multi-million square foot warehouses. So if the advantage that those places had was selection, if that's gone, people can get books anywhere they want. Why go somewhere? Why go to a retail establishment at all? Well, because it's you. people want to have places to go. And if it's a place that makes them feel good and is interesting to look at and interesting to be in, they're more likely to go there. So, I mean, I've long felt like people come to underground books because of the way it makes them feel. Um, that it feels like a neat space they want. Like, you know, one of the most common experiences at both stores is having people who live in the neighborhood bring their family members in and be like, look, isn't this cool? Um, and, you know, part of that's probably because, you know, independent bookstores have been closing and closing, so there aren't as many of them, so it's like more of, a, in some ways, a novelty. But part of it's also that we put a lot of effort into creating spaces that feel good. Well, you also have an online business, correct? We do. So it's like, we also, we're selling used books online. So a lot of, like, a lot of our buying is like estates, like collection, huge, like, or, or, or like, say, in, in, UW, in Carrollton, we have UWG, University of West Georgia. So it's like people will... Uh, professors are always moving so they're like oh i've got i don't want to haul these two i just took a job in colorado and i don't want to haul these two thousand books i have so i'm gonna sell i've picked out the 500 i want to keep and i've got 1500 i want to get rid of so i'll we'll go in and we'll buy 1500 books and then we you know take them to a kind of offsite. we used to do this at underground bucks but we've kind of outgrew the back room there now we take it to a a, a uh, storage facility offsite that we use and we sort them so we'll say okay this is good for going online this is good for underground books maybe this one's good for hills and hamlets uh, this is junk nobody wants this that goes in another pile that will donate that or get rid of it or recycle it or whatever um, and so we sort everything and then so when we're buying books that way in that bulk it's like you're able to sell them at prices that are competitive with the land that you're just putting it with the market rate so it's not like um, the, the challenge that with the e-commerce thing is really in the new book world because it has to do with the dynamics of Amazon and the e-commerce giants. Like Amazon in particular isn't looking to make money off of the things they sell. 
um, all of the like books. If you go on there and buy, you know, um, like podcast audio equipment or uh, uh, books or socks or whatever, in general, they're selling those things at cost. And what, what they really want is your personal data, your information. So they're collecting all of every, everyone's shopping habits and then they're packaging those and selling those to advertisers and they kind of like make money that way. So if books are being sold at cost on Amazon, how are you supposed to compete as a bookstore? You know, that if you're only selling new books, it's really, really tough. And we, I can dive into some of the answers to that if, if that's where you want me to go. I don't know how deep of a dive you want me to do. Yeah, absolutely. I will say that you're, you and your wife seem very savvy when it comes to social media. I saw one video you posted where you were dressed up like a hobbit, I believe, with yes. the enormous feet. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. I, mean, we have a, I mean, social media is a big part of it, too. It's like, well, A, it's, you know, communicating a love of books. We love what we do. We have fun with it. And it's like kind of like sharing that, like, passion and fun and love is, you know, important. And you said she started a and TikTok. Megan, Megan really like gets like ninety percent of the credit for the social media. Like she is like just has like a vision and drive to do fun, like especially video content. And and I really read like she launched TikTok like nine months to a year ago, and is doing videos that are having like million plus views. And it's like really something else. It's like a phenomena. TikTok has a whole like realm called Book Talk of like you know book focused TikTok videos where there's a huge community of people, um, you know, following each other and creating really funny, unique content. So Megan has ideas like that all the time for, oh, hey, there's this really, like, we have a, a, a cool edition of The Hobbit that is a bestseller for us. She was like, um, and we were thinking of what we were going to do Halloween costumes, and we were like, how about Halloween? And then I was like, how about I would just do a Hobbit? I can just get some funny ears and robe. And she's like, well, then we can use that book, and we can make this funny video. We've got a candle line we've launched that's like we've designed ourselves that's like all literary themed candles. So that tied into there's a Hobbit one called the Shire, um, and it's, so it's like we're able to you know just all of it comes together. You know, it's like it's just creative content. You're you know over a million views. That's unbelievable. I know. What well, this one the one she did last week has almost two million views. A lot of them the book arch in general. TikTok loves the book arch at Underground Books. Like when it's in the background of the videos, people are like, whoa. Where, where did the name for this bookstore come from? Hills and Hamels? Mm-hmm. Um, underground is I guess obvious for those that don't know. It is literally below street level. Um, so it's like it's five steps down into the basement of this, you know, 120 year old building. So it's obviously underground books. Uh, but Hills and Hamels, we spent a long time thinking about that because it didn't make sense to have underground books um, over here and we wanted it to be different anyway we wanted it to be a, a, a like a store designed to fit the needs of this community um, once so the name of the town Serenby is located in is you know a tiny town but it is called Chattahoochee Hills um, because after the like rolling hill farmland of the landscape here and then one of the design choices that we've talked about happening in Serenby is that it's designed in these little micro villages so instead of a like standard sprawl development where it's like one house on every half acre and like no sidewalks or anything interconnecting the houses, um, these are designed to look like a traditional uh, T&D, traditional neighborhood design is the term in architecture and planning, but a, tra a traditional village development where there's it's highly dense. Every residence is like within a five minute walk to a like village center where there's shops or restaurants and things like that. And uh, the term for that in like urban designer planning is like it's based on like the an old English village or a hamlet. Hamlet is the term. So a hamlet's like an old English village. 
So when you look, like if you go to the real estate office here in Serenby and they have the big wall maps and everything's like that, there are three, I think going to be four hamlets here. So we're in right now Grange Hamlet. So Serenby is made up of multiple little hamlets or tiny villages. So that's kind of a, the long answer to how the name came about. So it's Hills, Chattahoochee Hills, Hamlets. We're in Little Bullet, Hills and Hamlets Bookshop. Very clever. So what about with, with limited space in your bookstore, how do you find the book selection? And is there a certain emphasis you put on different topics? For sure. Again, like I mentioned, like we're trying to, you know, well, there's two things. It's always evolving. So it's like we thought we're going to do architecture, we're going to do food, we're going to do planning, we're going to do nature. Those are kind of the pillars of the values of the kind of Serenby development and the, the community here. Um, but what's ended up, and we do sell a lot of those books, but what's ended up being our best-selling category is children's books. Because we, there's tons of families living here. So Serenby is growing like mad. Like there's just, you know, houses going up and people moving here constantly. Um... I know, I think I just read this, that they added over 100 new residents in 2021, um, and I think there'll be probably as much or more in 2022, um, and a lot of those are families, so it's like kids' books has ended up being a big thing, and you know, Megan and I don't have kids, we've not ever been, like, considered ourselves experts on kids' books, so when that started to be a thing at the beginning, what we did is we went to the community, and we're like, hey, what are your favorite kids' books? Those are your other families or your, your favorite kids' books from your, your childhood. So we asked the community what they wanted, and then we listened. And we so a lot of the, so we have a huge, we're sitting right here in the, across from the children's section. So it, it evolves. So we, we're trying to, you know, we carry things that we, we believe are, you know, reflect and expound upon the values of the community here, and then also try to listen to the community what they want. So what point in your life did you develop a love for books? Um, that's a good question. You know, I, I don't remember being a passionate book lover as like, you know, and never had a shortage of books. <laughs> um, so I think that was it growing up. And then I, you know, that fit reading fantasy, um, I think led, did lead to my interest in like asking questions about the nature of the world. And I, that's why I studied philosophy in college. And so it kind of opened up. So I, I think fantasy reading as a kid was really the, the source of it. Favorite, what's your favorite book of all time? Oh, man, this question is just like the worst. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Um, no, that's okay. <laughs> uh, you know, for because it's like really it's like what kind of I favorite kinds of books. Because I, I read a lot of nonfiction or fiction. And I'd say the, my favorite fiction of the last few years that I've read, and I say this a lot in the store, is The Overstory by Richard Powers. It won the Pulitzer Prize in 2019, I think, or 2020. Um it's amazing. It's uh, the overstory is a, it's a reference to uh, you know the forest. The forests have an overstory, the top region of the like, especially in rainforests. But it's also kind of a uh, kind of a double meaning in the book. The over there's an, there's like these ten subplots of different characters who all kind of have like the trees or forests in the background of the plots in some way. Like maybe they're like. Um, dad had a tree they planted and was an important part of their family story or whatever. There's lots of different kind of things and all of their plots eventually kind of merge together in a kind of a big symphony. Um, so the overstory is also like there's kind of an overstory that's blending all of these, connecting all of these disparate storylines and people. Um, it's amazing. It's a really good book. Um, also, it feels like, you know, in some ways, trees or the landscape or the earth have a voice as a character in the story as well. Um, not to get too hippy-dippy. It sounds like there's a little bit of a niche for rare books and vintage books that you Definitely. guys do. What are some of the rarest books that you've seen come through? Uh, that's a good question. In many ways, that's like Megan and I, like, 
that's the part we love the most too. Like for us, like getting to, you know, going in, do going and buying at estate collections or like even just like when we go on vacation, we hit antique malls and we go scouting. It's called, they're used to, in the old days before the internet, there would, it was a thing that were like stores that specialized in vintage and rare books. There would be people who made a living just scouting going to thrift stores and antique stores and things like that to find rare books that they would then sell to rare book specialist dealers. And it's like, so it's like the internet's kind of made that a little bit more obsolete, but we still do, you know, dabble on it. You still can still find treasures here and there hidden out in the world. And we love doing that. Um, um, so yeah, uh, let's see. So some of the high points, um, um, we had a sign, uh, I mean, a love letter written by Jack London um, to his mistress. Uh, which was really cool. There's a blog post on undergroundbooks.net about that one, actually. Um, you probably have to like scroll back a ways. But, um, that was really cool. Um, we had um, a set of uh, the history of World War II by uh, Winston Churchill that was signed by Winston Churchill. Um, that was a big one, very rare. Um, wow, do you still have that one? No, no. Th- both of those things, when you, in, in some ways, really rare books like that, even though they're expensive, are pretty easy to sell because there's like collectors that are serious about that stuff. Um, we, what we, we kind of more specialize in, um, you know, 19th and 20th century uh, books of, about like science and natural history, mythology, folklore, things like that. So there's a fair amount, amount of that. If you look on undergroundbooks.net, our website, that it, it, it's not like books you're going to find in, on the shelves in our store at, at Underground Books in Carrollton with like a, you know, a five or $10 used book. It's like, you know, 50 or $100, $200 um, uh, 1920 book on, you know, medicinal plants or something, you know, like or an 1860 book on uh, the folklore of some island off Great Britain, you know, just like stuff that's like, it's pretty niche stuff um, that we really like. Um, also kind of just in general, I would say like with the vintage stuff, we kind of specialize in like the humanity, arts and humanities and, you know, sciences. Um, that's kind of our area less than like, we do like right now on the shelf over there, um, that might be a thing that you could take a picture of if you wanted. There's a gorgeous, this is probably one of the better, rarer things we have right now, set of like finely leather bound, like bound by hand, a set of Jane Austen's works. Um, that's just gorgeous. Oh, nice. And it's probably like a $2,000 set or something like that. Um, tell you, that, that's, that stuff's really fun. All right, Josh, so you got a first time customer. He says, Josh, give me a book recommendation, something that I have to read. And you say, well, what are your preferences? He goes, I don't know. Just give me a book that I have to read. What do you give him? Uh, well, I mean, if they won't even give me fiction or nonfiction, geez. Let's I start mean, with fiction and nonfiction. Uh, I mean, well, fiction, again, uh, the overstory is my kind of go-to that I was just talking about. Um, let's see. Well, you know, it's a lot easier. Like, usually I would, like, stand. I have, there's a, a shelf over by the counter that has our staff picks. So each of our current, kind of current favorite reads. So it's, like, all of us that work here, like my wife, myself, and patients, our, our staff person here, each have a shelf that has, like, our favorites on it. So usually if I'm standing over there, I'm be like, oh, well, have you read this? What do you think about this? I really love this one. So it's, like, it kind of circulates, like, what are our current favorites that have, like, really stood out to us that we've read in the last few months? Um, so let's see if I can one over here behind me. Oh, Braiding Sweetgrass is probably the nonfiction one I would reach for right now. Um, it's um, by Robin Wall Kimmer is her name. She is a Native American woman who is also a biology professor. Um, she's from Michigan. And um, her book is very much about the uh, traditions of her indigenous tribe 
whose name is escaping me right now, um, but how much of those stories that go back like hundreds and thousands of years um, and predate kind of modern science tell stories that match up with a lot of the things she teaches about biology and plants and, and uh, the nature of life in, as a scientist. And it's so moving and it's so well written, it's beautifully written, and it's just like page after page of just like, wow. Um, so that's a nonfiction one that I recommend a lot right now. Um, yeah, the overstory is my fiction. Oh, my best-selling one, current, my best-selling nonfiction I like the last month or two has been Brene Brown's The Atlas of the Heart. Um, she's famous for having like a, a kind of viral videos, TED Talks on um, the nature of... Kind Being of, vulnerable, right? Exactly, yeah, yeah. How vulnerability is kind of the key to unlock human connection. Um, so she has a series of best-selling books. And this one she's been working on for years, and it just came out, and it's it's a, a huge seller. I haven't actually sat and like, read it cover to cover yet. Um, but that one's big. Uh, other fiction big seller of the last bit that I have read in a lot was called Cloud Cuckoo Land. Um, it's, um, it's by Anthony Dewar. Anthony Doerr, and he wrote All the Light You All the Light We Cannot See, which was like a bestseller like ten years ago, and it's kind of a modern favorite of a lot of people kind of historical fiction. Um, yeah. Well, I think that's pretty much all of my questions. I like to end every podcast with two questions. And I know you don't you're not actually in Noonan, but mm -hmm. oh, yeah. the, the Noonan community likes to come to this bookstore because it's oh, yeah. twenty minutes away. Yeah. Um, so I like to ask every guest at the end of the podcast what their favorite thing about Noonan is and what's their favorite thing to do in Noonan. Sure. Um, I would say my favorite thing about Noonan is the downtown. Again, that we've talked a little bit about like urban planning and like uh, the nature of design and stuff like that and, and town planning and it, the bones of Noonan are just incredible the, like the square all the blocks just block after block of like kind of old school urban fabric I love to just go walking in the downtown of, of the square it's wonderful the old buildings I mean what's the the Carnegie Library right off the square there oh it's beautiful I love those old buildings um, but also just being in spaces that were kind of that the designed for people more than they were designed for automobiles. That's what the kind of the the the, the secret for secret sauce for Serenby or why people like Adamson Square in Carrollton or why people like the historic downtown in Noonan is like, you know, cars are there, but it's kind of these narrow streets and there's big sidewalks and it's like um, fun to walk around and I love it. I love our downtown places. So awesome. Well, thanks so much for doing the interview. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for interviewing me, and I really enjoyed it.